From WUSA 9 in Washington, D.C., this is 18 Days. It is the question no one has been able to answer for the past four years. What happened to Relisha Rudd? There's an Amber Alert out there for this eight-year-old girl. Her name is Relisha Rudd. She's from Southeast D.C. Where is she? Pray for us. Help me get my daughter back home safe. The FBI just released a chilling surveillance tape of Relisha and 51-year-old Khalil Tatum walking down the interior hallway of the Holiday Inn Express. She was looking for a lot of things and he brought her back. Is she still alive? That's the, one of the facts that's like, oh my gosh, there's something really wrong here. What new information do investigators have today they didn't have back then? Social workers went to the shelter and figured out it was all a lie. Uh, this discovery was a shock um, for us. Uh, we were um, very focused on finding militia. Do you think militia's alive? Yeah. How do you think that? I always have strong hope. You can't never let your hopes down. Well, we have decided to release this podcast on March 19th, 2018, because four years ago, on this very day, D.C. police launched their search for an eight-year-old girl who disappeared under some of the most unimaginable circumstances, and she's still out there somewhere. We followed the investigation, talked to her family, and even visited the place police believe she was last seen. Now, this is a complicated mystery with so many twists and turns and questions that really even telling the story in chronological order doesn't always make sense. And four years can change memories. Crucial facts can be forgotten. In fact, even as I was doing my own research and talking to reporters who covered this story extensively back then, we all really had a hard time remembering some of the elements in the case. My name is Jan Jeffcoat, and I'm a news anchor, television news anchor, at WUSA 9, the CBS affiliate in Washington, D.C. Four years ago, I was one of the first reporters to talk to Relisha Rudd's mom, grandma, and aunt all at the same time about her disappearance. Now, you're going to hear from them throughout the podcast, but first, let's just try to make sense of the basics, okay? R-E-L-I-S-H-A. The shelter give us some place to stay. So Relisha was this bright-eyed eight-year-old girl who lived uh, at the D.C. General Homeless Shelter with her mom and three brothers. She was last seen alive March 1st, 2014, and there's been no trace of her since then. Gone. Just like that. Just vanished. So what's different about her case than most missing children's cases is that her disappearance did not happen overnight. In fact, police say they actually didn't know she was missing for weeks. So let that sink in for a minute. You just heard me say we're releasing this March 19th because that's the day police found out she was missing 18 days after she was last seen. We're talking about a second grader who had not been seen in weeks and not one person said anything to anyone in law enforcement, according to police. And when investigators finally unraveled when she was last seen and who she'd been with, it was quite frankly too late. As if that wasn't shocking enough, Police said she was not even reported missing by her own family. Now, I'm a mom. I have two young daughters. The second I think my child is gone, I am screaming, I'm yelling, I'm going to the police. I mean, isn't that what you do? I mean, I want to know. I, I can't find her because that's what moms do, right? But in this case, it was just the opposite. Police said Relisha's mother misled them early in their investigation about her daughter's whereabouts. So, okay, on the surface, you, you might think mom knows more than she's revealing. 
But to this day, no one's been charged or even arrested, and a little girl just disappeared. The case became one jaw-dropping turn after another. From the very get-go, police revealed the last person seen with her was this guy, Khalil Tatum. Khalil Tatum was a 51-year-old man who was the janitor at the homeless shelter where Relisha and her family lived. That's right, the janitor at the homeless shelter. It is beyond comprehension. It's creepy, it's upsetting, this story is going to make you angry, but this is what happened. And a little girl is somewhere waiting out there to be found and to come home. But you should know there are people who are desperate to find her, and this investigation is far from over. So you're going to hear from Relisha's mom and grandma, those who knew her, and investigators on the case locally and nationally. You're also going to hear from people who knew Khalil Tatum. If you're outraged at the details, you know, you're not alone because this case has frustrated the community in D.C. and police since day one. In fact, here's former D.C. police chief Kathy Lanier speaking just days into their investigation. What really hurt us was not even becoming aware of her being missing until almost three full weeks after the last time she was seen. Right. That is that's, that's a killer. So again, police started getting details about Relisha's disappearance very late on March 19th. The very next day, March 20th, is when all of us in the media learned she was missing. That's when police needed our help in the media to get the word out as fast as we could as they began their desperate search for Relisha and Khalil Tatum. This is what we reported the night of March 20th, 2014. Breaking news right now. Police are desperately hunting tonight for a missing D.C. 8-year-old girl. And they're even more worried about little Relisha Rudd because they found the body of a woman. The search for her led investigators to a hotel in Oxon Hill, and what they found there, well, it was pretty horrific. Bruce Deshan is live with more on that. Bruce, what'd they find? Yeah, Derek, the horrific discovery was the body of a woman here at the Red Roof Inn on Oxon Hill Road. Now, the woman... It was uh, who was found the body. It was the common law wife of a man police suspect may have that little eight year old girl, Melissa, a guy named Khalil Tatum. Police. So here we are looking for this little girl, and the man police believe could have abducted her. And now a murder mystery. Your heart sinks, but you're also left with the bombshell that somehow this murder is connected to this missing girl. Well, in their frantic search, police did not find Relisha Rudd or Khalil Tatum. Instead, they were led to a woman who had been murdered, and we quickly learned her name was Andrea Tatum. And yes, she had a deep connection to Khalil Tatum. She was his wife for almost 24 years. Why was she in a motel room with him, though? And what did she have to do with Relisha Rudd? Well, some of those facts will soon become clear, but for now we know that she was shot inside a motel room and police say her husband, Khalil Tatum, the janitor at the homeless shelter, killed her. The very man police say was last seen with Relisha. So this is something that was really hard for all of us to understand at the moment because a woman had been killed. Her husband's now the suspect, and this is also the same suspect that is believed to be with Relisha. This all developed over the course of a few hours on March 20th 
the same day that police had to report to us that they were searching for Relisha Rudd. So, you know, we're all trying to process this information just like investigators. Bruce Lashan is an award-winning veteran reporter who's been at the TV station for nearly 23 years. He was the first reporter on the story for our television station, and as we prepared to do this podcast, I wanted to talk to him because he had inside sources on the investigation, and quite frankly, he was really close to this story. When you were covering this case three years ago, what was the one thing that stuck out in your mind about this case that might have been different from other cases that you covered or well, stories? I remember that morning and that panic that we had this beautiful little girl missing. And then I remember that alarm that went out at 8.02 uh, a.m. after Khalil Tatum's wife's body was found at the Red Roof Inn and the lookout for those two cars and the fact that police believed that these two things were connected, the disappearance of this little girl and the discovery in this motel in Prince George's County of a woman dead. Uh, and that really started to suggest that something terrible might have happened to Relisha. She was a beautiful little girl with that beautiful smile that you can see in those pictures. She had this joy within her despite how much trouble she'd had to deal with and um, you know you think about what might have been you know there's a possibility that, that despite all the hardship that she was facing and despite you know being homeless maybe somebody could have connected with her and she could have succeeded in school and she could have today we could be talking about mm -hmm. instead of her being gone we could be talking about her doing great in school. Predators play on the weaknesses of their victims. And Khalil Tatum found a little girl that was in a terrible situation mm -hmm. in a homeless shelter that needed some place to go. And uh, her f guardian was apparently willing to let that happen. janitor at a homeless shelter and a killer has this little girl police are telling us how in the world did it get to this and where is her mom in all of this well we started digging into relicious past and her mom's relicious mom shamika young had a troubled childhood herself we knew that she grew up in the foster care system she bounced from home to home now she told us she did not want her kids growing up the way she did but by the age of 28 with four kids eight and under it was hard for Shamika to hold down a job for long, and they were all living at the D.C. General Homeless Shelter. Relisha's three younger brothers went into foster care after she disappeared. And according to published reports, we also learned the Department of Human Services had been called to investigate a number of issues in the children's past, including evidence of alleged abuse. In one report, social workers were called to the shelter after one of her brothers reportedly had been thrown to the ground and slapped, causing a split lip. Now, as for Relisha, we're told she often took on the role as sort of a little mommy to her brothers. But by all accounts, we know that she hated living in the shelter and desperately wanted to get out. So much so that there was reports that she would fake being sick so she could leave. So what was life like for her in the shelter? The D.C. General Homeless Shelter used to be a city-run hospital. It opened about 16 years ago as a place for homeless people to go when the temperatures got dangerously cold. 
But the city ended up leaving it open, turning it into year-round housing for families. And about 300 families now call it home, and almost half are single moms. I had to go see this place for myself. I had to see where Relisha lived. So one day, my producer Dory and I called and asked if we could go on a tour. I talked to Dora Taylor, who is a media official with the Department of Human Services for D.C. We did not bring a camera, but we did ask if we could record audio while we were there. So what you're about to hear is us pulling up to the shelter, which, by the way, is across from the D.C. jail. And also you're about to hear what we found during our tour inside. Okay, so we are now pulling up to the D.C. General uh, Family Homeless Shelter. And, um, Dory, I know you've never been here before, mm-hmm. but um, at first glance, what's your thoughts? It's like a big complex, and it's hard to tell what is what. I just see a bunch of brick buildings, like this one straight in front of us. Like, all the windows, are those boarded up? Yeah, those are boarded up windows. And then I think the most telling thing about this area is right beside the D.C. General Homeless Shelter is the jail. The D.C. jail, which is pretty huge. and It's like right across. And it's kind of scary. Here. Look at this. It's like a big circle drive. And on one side of the circle drive is the jail. On the other side, there's a playground with the homeless shelter right behind it. And you can see women pushing baby strollers along with a bunch of people waiting at this bus stop here. I mean, it's a huge, this is a huge complex right here. Mm-hmm. Huge. But when you look around, it's like, I mean, that's the jail with barbed wire, barbed wire fence. There's also a mental health facility right beside it. There it is. Yeah. I see kids with backpacks on almost like they're getting ready to go to school. Yeah. There's a kid over there with the scooter. Um, in this playground, um, wasn't it built in memory of Relisha? Yeah. Because of what happened. Um, so we're walking into the DC general homeless shelter right now. Um, and as we walk in, we notice that it's pretty, not too hard to get in, but it's actually really high security. Uh, well, this is our security checkpoint where families come in, they have to show identification, they sign in. Um, we do have to search belongings and they go through, um, you know, the x-ray screen. We have, to, <laughs> we have to go through security check and every single person has to be a resident. Uh, you can't just come in here. Nope. Absolutely not. You cannot so, just come in here. That's why you guys could not come without me. So every single person is ID'd, and then they go through, through, through a security check. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's put our stuff down. Great. Oh, do I need to sign it? Oh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. You don't sign it. Okay. You show your ID. Okay. How many families live here? Uh, it varies, but it could be uh, as many as 300 or more children and as, as many as three or 400 adults. Okay. So when we say families, we're talking roughly about seven to 800 people. You know what's so interesting is as I'm, do you mind if I take pictures? As I'm looking through here, I mean, you can still see very much the signs of a hospital. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you look up and you see like x-ray and you see like <sighs> waiting area and you see doors that clearly look like they're hospital doors. Yeah. Yes. So it's very much yes. still the big swinging hospital doors. Yeah. That's why we're very much looking forward to our new programs. It'll be scattered in the city and where families can stay in their communities. So, but for right now, you know, this is a safe place for families to be. It is. It looks very much like it is. I mean, you have lots of security here for sure. Oh, absolutely. Does it, does it ever get uneasy or dangerous because the jail is right there? No. So that, that has to, because I mean, you know, the first and thought is, is, oh my gosh, the jail's right there. You can see it through I know, but window. these grounds are heavily guarded by PSD, um, you know, special police. Um, the jail has their own security. 
As Dora's showing us around, she's clear to point out how much money D.C. pours into its homeless population. She gave props to D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and also showed us how the hospital-turned-shelter, not surprisingly, has its own medical clinic, so you know what, residents really don't have to leave for anything. There's also a place for families to watch TV and hang out, as well as a computer lab with someone there to help residents create and post resumes and look for jobs. D.C. is probably one of the most generous regions when it comes to um, sheltering us. Like I was saying, the Bowser administration has invested more money than anyone else, ever. People would stay here for as long as they need to. People would stay here for as long as they need to. However, we are engaging in a campaign right now to tweak some of our policies to um, engage more landlords. Okay. Um, we need landlords who are willing to relax their uh, requirements okay. for families, like I said, with credit barriers, um, you know, employment, income. We also visited some of the vacant rooms that were once old hospital patient rooms, and they came with all the basics. They had linens, towels, soap, toothbrushes, pack and plays that the family needed them, as well as formula and diapers. I'd say it's like a little bit smaller than my first door room. Like just a little bit smaller. <laughs> That's what it reminds me. In fact, yeah. I brought 60 minutes here one time, and they never used the story because they said it was so uneventful. <laughs> Yeah, they went to New York instead. They said, the reporter literally said, it's like a dorm. So um, I read that you guys have to let them in via key. They don't let themselves into the rooms. Is that correct? Correct. So then who do they who do they go to to get let into the room? Their staff. That's why there's so many multiple staff gotcha. stations on every floor. So they're not allowed to have a key to their own room? No. You let them into the room? We do. And that room stays closed. And then when they leave to come and go, you it mm -hmm. automatically locks? Yeah. Well, I won't say it's an issue, but at times, um, uh, you know, families abandon the room, their rooms. Um, you know, it's okay. You know, families find, they've doubled up situations. Mm -hmm. They find other housing opportunities. But that way we can make sure that, you know, the rooms are for families who really need them. So this is the unit that Miss uh, Rudd used to reside. That room is a two plus three. Okay. Or so it could be a two plus four as well. So it's for families of five, five or six. six. Gotcha. Which is she had five in her family. Mm -hmm. So. And I believe it does have a bathroom in it. So they had a half a bathroom in the room already. So you said there's a curfew. Yes. Every night. Mm -hmm. What time during, is the curfew? The week is nine thirty, and on the weekends it's eleven thirty. Mm -hmm. So if you're just not in by that time, you can't just can't come to your room. Is that sort no, of? No, we, we, okay. we still allow them in. We just okay. mark them out. You oh, know, and I then see. We'll mark them. And that helps whatever you. Whatever time they came in. Okay. Yeah, so it helps us track the Track it. To make yeah. Sure yeah. If you get too many curfew violations, you get a warning. Gotcha. They they have to be on their individual floors, and they can't be in any, anybody else's room when they're in on the on their floors. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, you can't go from floor to floor to visit other families. I mean. You can't babysit each other's children. No, so you have to be with the families at all times. Right. All times. We do a nighttime check, a nighttime room check to make sure families are in place. Um, that's one of the things that we started after the Relisha Rudd situation. Is that true? Um, just wanting to make sure that um, if a child is not in place, that the parent is aware and that there's a good and valid reason why. Okay, just some quick takeaways on the things that we learned while on this tour. First, there is a guard on every single floor at every corner. 
You have to go through these metal detectors and everything that you bring into the shelter is checked. It's very similar to when you go through TSA. There's also a bunch of rules. One of them is that a parent cannot leave their child alone in a shelter room. So say for instance, someone needs to go to the bathroom, a parent and the child would need to go together. The same goes for the cafeteria when they eat their meals and when they leave the shelter. Only a parent can take their child in and out of the shelter. Now that rule would become an important one as police dig deeper into their investigation. We also learned there were a lot of amenities for residents. They have three catered meals every day with everything from cheesesteaks to curry chicken and barbecue short ribs. There's a medical clinic inside the building and many of the rooms have their own bathroom. It looks very similar to dorm rooms, but there are some rooms that can accommodate up to six people, which is the kind of room that Relisha and her family had. And of course, the goal of the shelter is for families not to live there forever. Everyone gets a case manager who tries to help them get back on their feet, get jobs and find places to live. And while DC General does offer a lot for its residents, make no mistake, the city wants it gone, hoping to replace it with smaller housing that would be spread throughout the city's eight wards. Just a few days before we released this podcast, Mayor Bowser gave her state of the district address, making it very clear she wants to shut down the shelter this year and reminded everyone what happened at DC General four years ago. I ran for mayor in 2014. The same year our city faced an immeasurable tragedy in the disappearance of young Relisha Rudd. There are many unanswered questions about what happened to Relisha, but one thing we know for sure is that today she should be doing the things that little girls do in our city. But she is not. Because the system failed Relisha and we must, we must never let a child fall through the cracks again. Let me be clear. When it comes to closing G DC General, we cannot move fast enough. That shelter is an embarrassment to our city and I will not be the mayor who passes up on the opportunity to demolish it. So the city plans to relocate some seven to 800 homeless children and adults from DC General in an area that's already facing a major affordable housing shortage crisis. There has been talk of the shelter demolition for years, but as you can imagine, the challenges and questions never end. Where will these families live? And how will some of the programs work that do benefit children? Programs like the Homeless Children's Playtime Project. That's where Relisha spent a lot of time at the shelter. So my producer and I toured the room where they hold this program. It's basically a place to give these children an outlet to be kids, to have some fun. And it also gave single moms a bit of a break after school. So we can walk down here because Relisha would have spent time here. She was very engaged with playtime. Um, I know one of the photos that's very popular in the media was actually shot in this space. So let's just describe, let me hold this while you do that. Yeah. Um, yeah let's just describe kind of what we see. I mean, there's dollhouses and there's kitchen sets. There's colorful there's decorations uh, on the walls. You got your alphabets on the walls. Um, different colors. It's kind of like the picture you would see in a daycare center or a preschool. Yeah. Very colorful, very alive. You know, furniture that's child size, that's appropriate for the age group. There's a lot of children's artwork on the wall here, so you can tell they've been busy mm -hmm. making I stuff. I think the kids were even allowed to help paint the clouds on the walls. The uh, aim is to provide as much normalcy 
as possible. Were the, um, this was, was this also kind of a, a respite for the parents too? Were they, the parents didn't have to be down here when the kids were here, right? This no, they the, don't. Yeah, right. The parents can bring their kids. I believe it's after dinner. Is that correct? It's after dinner. And um, like I said, not, a, not only is it just a play space, but when children need help with homework, tutoring, um, playtime is on site to um, help with that also. It allows kids to um, engage with, with each other because um, families are not allowed to um, visit each other's rooms upstairs. Relisha loved playtime, and playtime loved Relisha. As a matter of fact, they have hosted several visuals um, like you guys, they've been very instrumental in keeping the story alive. I think they even hold like a visual every year um, in March in honor of her mm-hmm. disappearance. But yeah, many of the counselors were here when she was here and remember her and like I said, love her dearly. We even found some video of Relisha practicing lines for a documentary produced by the project. This video was recorded back in February of 2014, just weeks before she disappeared. All right, now I want you to say, all kids need a place to play. All kids need a place to play. Say it louder. Say it to her, and that's good. You, on the screen. No, no, I really wish you could see this video because Relisha just seems so happy. I mean, she is just like any other eight-year-old girl. Her hair's braided. She's got bows. She's surrounded by this colorful classroom setting. You would never think that weeks later something so troubling, so sinister would happen that we might never see her again. And you also never knew that anything was happening behind the scenes, that she had this friendship with this Khalil Tatum. And had gone with him several times outside the shelter. I knew the volunteers and the people at the Playtime Project would know and have an intimate relationship with Relisha, so I called Jamila Larson, who runs the program. So we were privileged to work with Relisha for the 18 months that she lived in the shelter with her mother and three brothers. She was kind of a, a kind of an under-the-radar kid. She was quieter than her more rambunctious brothers, so she really kind of fit into the playtime crowd really nice, but she didn't stand out um, in terms of um, she had a, a wonderful, um, sweet, fun-loving personality, but she wasn't as loud as some of the other kids. So she uh, she was just a joy um, to have in our program, and, and really um, she was a, a quote-unquote good kid, um, you know, where some of the other kids might stand out for their... Um, more colorful behavior. Um, she she really didn't. So there was a was there a period of time where you would see her every day, every other day, once a week. Um, how often did you see her? Our our staff and volunteers typically saw her weekly in the playtime program. Um, and right before she went missing, she was graduated to our preaching program. We are a drop-in program, so we don't you know, require weekly participation. So it wasn't unusual for kids to miss a week or two here or there. Um, And so that didn't necessarily raise alarm bells for us. So do you know what her relationship was like with her mother? Did she ever talk about her mom or family members or anything like that? I know that she was very close to her little brothers and really helped her mom a lot, kind of corral them, um, as most big sisters do. and her three little brothers had a lot of energy, and she was very helpful to her mother and 
helping to take care of them and really took on that big sister role very enthusiastically. She loved those little boys. Did you ever see her with Khalil Tatum? Did she ever talk about him? Did you ever see her with him? No, we never did. We never did. And I haven't, I've never seen Khalil Tatum. And our other staff who, who worked at the shelter more regularly than I did saw him like once upstairs in the shelter, but we certainly never saw them together or knew that he was taking her out of the shelter. The staff at the shelter told me the same thing. Several employees who worked closely with Khalil said they never saw him with Relisha and are still shocked by everything they've learned. They described Khalil as a kind of a grandfatherly type figure and his supervisor told me he was a stellar employee. Yeah, she used the word stellar. So we do know from Relisha's family and witnesses that Khalil Tatum had been with Relisha outside the shelter numerous times. But again, there's that rule where only parents can take their kids out of the shelter, which means one of two things. Shamika would have had to have given Relisha to Khalil outside the shelter or someone who was taking care of Relisha outside the shelter would have had to have allowed her to go with Khalil Tatum. That's why the confusion over who was caring for Relisha before she vanished became a central theme in the investigation. Relisha's mother, Shamika, told me she never gave her daughter to Khalil Tatum, and she even blamed her mother, Relisha's grandmother, for allowing her to be alone with him. So how many people actually knew about his relationship with Relisha and her family? Was it done all in secrecy? And if so, why? So many questions. So during our tour at the homeless shelter, I had a very candid conversation with Dora Taylor just to get her take on everything. Are you a mom? I am. So, do you have daughters? I do. You do? So I do too. I'm just, as a mom, do you, is your gut like telling you anything? Is your gut, I mean like what, just like what, uh, how, are you, how did you feel when this whole thing came down? Um, that's interesting you asked that because um, as a mom, I was devastated when it happened, and you know, especially by me working so closely to the shelter or with the shelter. But um, to be honest, I was furious at her mom. That's how I felt. You know, how do you justify sending her? And I don't care how friendly he was, how innocent he appeared. He didn't have kids, so how do you justify sleepovers, etc., with this older man? whom you haven't known mm -hmm. and to me it was just so you could have the convenience of doing whatever it is in your lifestyle that wasn't child friendly so that's where my you know that's, yeah. that's where my sentiment was I was very angry at she and her family and you know my mom is gone now but was extremely protective of us you know us and her grandkids and to have had the grandmother support even was just insane to me i just I, I could not understand it i really couldn't and like i said i know the family had lots of barriers um one of the things that came as a result of relisha is a program we now have called cross connect and what that means is if you are a family in the district and you're engaged with more than one agency that those case managers now come together, you know, in weekly meetings to discuss your progress. And that's because Relisha's mother had been engaged with the Department of Behavioral Health, the Child and Family Service Administration, and was missing appointments with all of those entities. And obviously, experiencing homelessness, so she was engaged with DHS. So here you are, 
um, an active case with three different government departments who are not talking with each other. And like I said, we just feel like, you know, if that team had been a team back then, then maybe the outcome would, would be different. So that is one of the, the, the good things that that's resulted funny. from the tragedy that happened with Relisha. In my personal opinion, that's how I felt as a mom, you know. We are insanely protective of our daughters. Not, you know, I have a son too, him too, but I have two daughters and one son, and I would have never let my child, I, would, I don't let my, my girl spend time with... Anybody, not yeah, the same way. I'm just saying... I don't, I don't do some even, parties or anything. Yeah, any even when families have children if i don't know you well or if you're not family then there's no way and not a sleepover not ever not no that was my first instinct that was my first impression and like i said she was not engaging at the time and um there was there didn't appear to be anybody making sure she was getting the help that she needed Okay, I know that was a lot to take in, but I just wanted you to hear the conversation I had with Dora Taylor because we learned so much, including the new system now in place to make sure all D.C. agencies are talking to each other. I also talked with Relisha's grandmother, Melissa Young, shortly after Relisha disappeared. Now, she said her daughter, Shamika, met Khalil Tatum at the shelter. That was their only connection. How they met and the nature of their relationship would become much clearer in the coming weeks. Now, another thing that was made abundantly clear during the investigation was that neither Relisha's mom nor grandmother reported her missing. So what blew this case wide open was Relisha's absences at school. They were starting to pile up at least 30 days for that school year alone. Now, the school did question those absences, but according to the deputy mayor for D.C.'s Health and Human Services Department, the school was told that Relisha was sick. So sick, in fact, that she was under the care of a doctor, a Dr. Tatum, who told the school that Relisha was under the care of a Dr. Tatum would also become a major point in the investigation that we're going to get to later. First, though, a social worker went to the homeless shelter to meet up with this Dr. Tatum to talk about Relisha's absences in school and, you know, get an explanation. And that's when it became very clear Dr. Tatum was no doctor at all, and it was actually Khalil Tatum, the janitor at the homeless shelter, posing as her doctor. By the time the social worker figured that out, Relisha had already been missing for 18 days. 18 days that went by before police found out there was a missing child. 18 days that her mother never reported her missing. 18 days that her grandmother never reported her missing. 18 days that, I mean, I mean, you get it, I could go on. You can see how frustrating this was for investigators, for reporters, and it outraged the community. That revelation that there's a little girl who's been missing for over two weeks and we're just now finding out about it triggered vigils, it triggered searches, lots of interviews, but there was still no sign of Relisha Rudd or Khalil Tatum. Family, friends, and concerned area residents held a vigil tonight for Relisha Rudd. Please bring her home. Now, back then, I do remember there just seemed to be this endless stream of information coming out. There were false leads, there were sightings, there were all these rumors, innuendos. But then there was this one big oh my gosh moment in the investigation 
We were still trying to figure out the relationship between uh, Khalil and Relisha and where they could possibly be. And then five days after the search began, the FBI released this chilling surveillance video of Relisha and Khalil together. So on one hand, it gave you some hope that she was still alive, but then we saw when it was dated, February 26th, a month before the investigation at this point. And as a mom, this video is, is really hard to watch. Really, as anybody, this video is hard to watch. Uh, it's video from inside a hotel. On it, you, you can see Relisha and Tatum walking casually down this interior hall. We learned this was at a Holiday Inn Express in D.C., about two and a half miles from the homeless shelter. You see this little girl in braids walking next to this man. And knowing what we know now, it is so creepy to see this video. But at first glance, you just might think this was a man walking with his granddaughter. He is not holding her hand. She walks freely beside him. She's holding this large plastic uh, shopping bag in one hand that nearly touches the ground as she walks. And at one point, while she's carrying the bag, she actually switches from her left hand to her right hand, probably to ease the tension on her tiny fingers there. He's carrying in one hand what looks like a light blue backpack, the kind with strings for straps, and, and it's winter here in D.C., so they're both wearing thick winter coats. And again, it's dated February 26th. I look back at the calendar. That, that was a Wednesday. It was a school day. The timestamp was 7.25 p.m. As they walk down the hall, they stop in front of a door. He swipes the key card a few times. The door opens. She looks up at him. He walks inside, and she follows right behind. That was the only video that was ever released to the public and our last glimpse of Relisha. Just days after that video was released, police did finally find Khalil Tatum, but it led them farther away from finding Relisha Rudd. Next time on 18 Days... We go to the last place Relisha was seen alive and Khalil Tatum's secrets. Police reveal a dark turn in their investigation. Mr. Tatum purchased, among other items, a carton of black 42-gallon self-tie contractor trash bags. Eighteen Days is a production of WUSA 9. It's written and produced by me, Jan Jeffcoat, and Dory Olmos. Edited by Chris Mullen with help from Sonia Dasgupta. You can find photos, a timeline, and extended interviews at WUSA9.com slash 18 days. And if you have any tips or information about Relisha's disappearance, please call D.C.'s Metropolitan Police Department at 202-727-9099. You can also text a tip to 50411.